A lot of American companies don't understand Canadian running. We're hoping to build that connection between the Canadian athletes and those shoe companies. Canada isn't the U.S., but Canada has a lot to give. Welcome to the ShakeOut Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. The business model of professional athletics is convoluted, even for those in the sport. So many elite athletes hire an agent to help them navigate this world. But the number of agents in Canada is extremely small, and most Canadians end up working with American agents out of necessity. Enter Matt Hughes and Steven Anderson, who met a year ago thanks to their shared concern about what they see as the dismal state of the Canadian pro-running system. They now represent nearly 20 elite runners, including ShakeOut co-host Maddie Kelly. Today on the pod, Maddie and I chat with Matt and Stephen about how they're working to disrupt this system and to give Canadian runners more opportunity for excellence and stardom. Matt is a retired two-time Olympian. He's the Canadian steeplechase record holder and also sits on the World Athletics Athlete Commission. Stephen is a law and MBA student at the University of New Brunswick. He's a runner and a race director and a World Athletics Certified Agent. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining Maddie and I today on The Shakeout. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. So you two have partnered together in this project to help represent Canadian track and field athletes. And maybe we can just start by getting some background from both of you about what it is that you're trying to do and kind of the goal of this project. Sure. So I guess as a bit of history, I have worked on a few running events around the country whether it's with Dylan Wikes on the Ottawa Marathon or whether I was the race director at the uh, Canadian 5K Champs the last two years, the first year is virtual. And I just realized how little support there was for Canadian athletes, especially like on the business agency side and how little like even the races understood elite running, right? And so that was something that I noted as, as a, a weakness and at the t- I'd already started law school at the time. And so I decided that, hey, there was, I don't really want to be a lawyer anyway. So there was this opportunity for me to uh, carve out this this niche here and also to help with a sport I'm passionate about. And so that's kind of how the ball started rolling. And then I can go into a little bit more about like what our plans are, I guess, if you'd like. And, and that is to ultimately provide support for Canadian athletes that I said is not already there. So we're working with a few athletes at the moment, 15 to 18 at the moment. And it's just the ability of like getting into some races or looking for those little sponsorship deals that can can take your allow you to go travel to Flagstaff or or travel to an extra couple races and events throughout the year. And that can help you get points and get in, make teams and things like that. And those supports haven't been there for Canadians for a while. Um, and there's no other real agent doing this in Canada. So that's kind of where the, where it came from. Yeah. So it sounds like you're really stepping in to try to like recognize the gaps that you see in the system and then do the best you can to fill them in as many ways as as possible. Matt, did you want to, did you want to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just like echo a little bit of what Steven said. There's not only just a little void, I think there's a massive void in terms of representation uh, on the track and field side, elite track and field and road running, I guess, uh, in Canada for a long time. Chris McCashy was really the only agent at all in Canada. And now he's not really doing it. He's working with uh, the Montreal Canadiens now. He still does a little bit of work for some of those uh, people coming out of that Laval squad. But yeah, there really isn't uh, an agent or agents uh, advocating on the behalf of, of elite 
endurance runners and that's what we're kind of getting into and hopefully it spreads throughout the whole track and field roster but right now when when we're talking about getting into elite races and stuff like that agents just hold so much power in our sport and i've learned since retiring and i even knew before then that a lot of times like in my own case your agent will help you get a deal a shoe deal that is and help you get into some races but when you're on the higher end and i like i assume matt has started to realize this now that like for the most part you can get yourself into races you know the high-end diamond league races might be a little tough but beyond an agent getting you a shoe contract and helping you get into races that's kind of where the buck stops for most agents in the states um and what me and steven are hoping to provide is not only helping athletes get in contact with the shoe companies, helping them secure deals and then helping them get into races, but just helping advocate for small Canadian companies or large Canadian companies that not many American agents would go the extra mile to do that stuff. And we all know sitting here that the chance to capitalize on yourself and make some money in this sport, there's a short window and we're hopefully just trying to provide an avenue to help uh, in that, I guess, in that respect. So um, it's, it started off small here. We're, we're working with a few athletes now and hopefully it just continues to grow and we can grow something bigger in Canada and, and make it so that athletes don't feel like they have to go down to the States to join a team where um, we're hopefully developing relationships with, with the shoe companies and, and beyond that to, to make it apparent that you can carve out a spot for yourself in the sport and do it your way within Canada. Well, and Matt, if you could, or Steven, if one of you could go a little bit more in depth on that topic, because I think, you know, the average runner doesn't realize how so many Canadians have to make a choice of, okay, so either I move to the U S and I live this sort of temporary life because I know I can't stay in the U S because I'm not American to join a group or I stay in Canada and it's really difficult to get leverage with a company as a single person in Canada. So can you talk a bit more about that and how we bridge that gap? Yeah, you you go first, Stephen, and then I can kind of just talk about my personal experience and how I feel like that kind of is in a nutshell what most athletes deal with. Yeah, yeah. so I think like there's obviously there's a big divide between the US and Canadian economies just generally, like if you look at life outside of sport the u.s is a huge they have 10 times the population to what we have right so tip they probably also have 10 times plus more the money so i think that's that's the first place to start is there's more fans there there's more facilities there there's more sponsorship dollars there and that's the number one thing which kind of draws canadian athletes there i think like there's a whole we can run down a whole list of people who train in the u.s that are canadian muhammad ahmed Rory Linkletter, the list goes on and on. But I think there's a big issue with connecting. It, it's such a small community, the track and field community. But at the same time, there's, as Matt mentioned a few minutes ago, like there's a small group of people who hold a lot of power. And those are the shoe companies. And those are um, some of the big agents. And what happens is in order to get with one of those shoe companies and, and get a contract with Nike or On or New Balance, most athletes have to move down to the U.S. Uh, and join what's called a group, right? And so I think Matt alluded to what a group is earlier. And essentially, it's a shoe company has put together some money in order for athletes to train under their banner. 
that that doesn't work for every person, right? Because that's trying to put a, a square peg through a round hole in many cases, right? Every athlete is a different athlete. Every some people, including me, love to live in Canada and don't want to move to the U.S. Uh, and so it's it's a difficult transition for a lot of people. And so I think we're trying to keep those avenues open between between staying in Canada and moving to the U.S. I think both options are viable options. We've seen people succeed in both avenues, and ultimately, it's it's through someone like us is we're hoping to build that connection between the Canadian athletes and those shoe companies and building an understanding of, okay, Canada isn't the U S but Canada has a lot to give in terms of track and field um, and road running in general. We have great events, we have great fans and we have great athletes. And so building that divide is I think important and it's something we're working on, uh, but it's also something that's going to be a slow process, right? Because a lot of American companies don't understand Canadian running they don't even understand our trial system for how to make the Olympics, right? Because for them, they have a whole NBC broadcasted event around it. And so that's that's an education process that I am that we are going through at the moment. Just to again, just piggyback on what Steve is saying and to to get in a little bit deeper and kind of just bring you into what uh, what an athlete would kind of go through. Like I'll anyone that asked me about my experience and I, I know that I was on the upper end and not everyone gets a contract out of college and our top athletes tend to all train in the States uh, in terms of distance running anyways. But just to like run down the comparison between Canada and the U S. So I graduated and had just won two NCAA championships um, and signed a contract with Nike for just above $20,000. Um, and for a lot of runners hearing that, it's just like, oh, wow, like you're, you're making money running. And I'm, I, I want to preface this right off the bat. I'm not complaining that I didn't make enough money. I know I made a lot more money than most people in my shoes. But in the grand scheme of things, that's basically minimum wage. So where does that $20,000 go if you're living in the States? I eventually was starting to live in Portland. You're probably paying between $800 to $1,000 per month on rent. Um, you're, I, I paid for a visa, which was a couple thousand dollars you're paying for food. So like that $20,000 doesn't really stretch very far. And yes, I had carding half of my career was before the Cape system. And for those listening that don't know what the Cape system is, is essentially this branch of the COC that gives funds to athletics Canada to then support our top tiered athletes. So It's not really like getting a blank check. It's essentially like, I want to go to altitude. I want to go to this race. How much is it going to cost? You keep your receipts, you submit your receipts and you get that money. So again, uh, for anyone listening to this that wants to make money in track and field, I would say pick a different sport uh, because there's not a lot of money to be made. Yes, the the top 1% in the sprinting and jumping and, and sometimes in distance running, if you're a world beater, you make some money. But again, to to echo what steven said that like not everyone wants to move down to the states and there is a cost associated with that so understanding that if you do want to live this dream you want to try to be a professional runner you want to make olympics you want to make world championships you want to run for a shoe company yes it can be done but understanding the hurdles and the pitfalls that that come along with that and hopefully a part of this you know us being agents is to educate our elite athletes that yes, we can advocate on your behalf, but 
you know, it's not, it's not always a smooth road. And what me and Steven tell most people is run fast and these things tend to take care of themselves, money, getting into races, all that sort of stuff. But I guess my, my story is just to say that to turn it back around to what I made, you know, the, the next year graduating was a guy named Don Cabral, who I competed with him in the NCAA. We had similar resumes coming out of college and he signs a contract with Nike for over 80 grand. So it just goes to show you that shoe companies value Americans way more than they value Canadians. So will those numbers ever kind of, will, will, will the U.S. athletes kind of come down or will the Canadian athletes ever come up to meet those standards? It's hard to know. And fact that their national championships is broadcasted to millions of people on NBCs and we're using, we're still using a streaming provider just goes to show you what, what shoe companies would look at as monetized marketing. So in a way, so we have a long way to go in Canada and it's going to be a long uphill battle, but hopefully we can, you know, me and Stephen can keep fighting to advocate for Canadian athletes and, and not only to, to show that they deserve, you know, spots on lines in big races, but also contracts to, to help fund their, their athletic pursuits. Yeah, that's awesome. Matt, I want to stick with you for a second, just because you touched on a few things there. You know, you had a really successful professional career yourself. I'm wondering from your perspective, what were some of the lessons that you learned from the athlete point of view that you are now going to bring into the representation side? And maybe what were some of the, like, I guess on the other side, some of the things that you felt maybe you lacked that you would like to make up for with what you're doing? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I don't really know. I haven't really thought about it a ton from that uh, point of view, but I guess I would say I spent most of my career, well, all of my career, just hyperly focused on just being the best athlete I could be, like trying to make Olympic finals, world championship finals, and trying to medal. Like I was, I didn't let anything distract me from that, whether it was, I know some athletes try to do, you know, part-time jobs or full-time jobs on the side. Some do, you know, are, are still in school. They try to further their education. And I can, you know, I can look back on my career and be like, oh, maybe I should have been doing some sort of you know, teacher's college or something on the side while I was running. But for me and the person I was, I just felt that if I wasn't singularly focused on trying to better myself, try to do every little thing during the day to recover, to maximize my performance, both in training and in racing, I felt like I wasn't being true to myself. And some athletes, to, to be fair, need that distraction. So um, I guess to to answer your question, just knowing that every athlete's different, every athlete needs something different from you, whether, you know, that's from a coaching side, whether that's from being an agent side. Um, and I just think our jobs as the agent um, is to just provide the athlete with a choice. And ultimately, it's their choice at the end of the day. So we can go and fight and convince a company that they should sign this athlete or convince a meet director to get a spot on the line for this athlete. But at the end of the day, it's their choice, whether they want to do it. And that's what I tell most people, look, we'll, we'll provide you with an avenue, but you know, it's the classic quote is like, you can, you can lead the horse to the water, but they have to drink it. Right. So we can, I can provide them with my experience. um, What I learned from the sport as an athlete and now on the other side, but ultimately it's their decision. It's their choice and it's their career. So. Well, and what you guys are saying about providing an avenue is so huge because Like from my perspective, as a person who stayed in Canada for school, 
and then just like slowly chipped away. Like I'm like, I was not a 19 year old phenom. And like, even if you are a 19 year old phenom and you're in Canada, it's still really tough, but it's easier. Um, so by the time I was good enough to approach agents, I had age working against me as well. So the avenue just didn't feel like it was there. Like I, after the Olympics, I was 25 and that was my first ever national team. And I'd run 200.1 and I emailed 10 different American agents and at most didn't get back to me. At best, they got back to me and politely said no. At worst, they got back to me and said I was too old and too slow. So when they're like when you can't even get your foot in the door, it's just it's really hard to get it's really hard to get started. And the system is set up to necessitate an agent. So I would love for you guys to talk a little bit about about that and how that plays out for athletes who either don't have one or are struggling to get one. I can quickly jump in on that. So I, I guess for some background, in order to become a world official world athletics agent, you need to write an exam which is really hard, <laughs> like really hard. The pass rate was not very good. I, I studied much harder for that than I did for the LSAT. And uh, anyway, so anyway, I did a lot better on that than I did the LSAT too, though, so for the record. Um, but so you have to pass this agent's exam and then you can go on the World Athletics database as an agent or whatever. Then from there, you can start representing athletes. If you're an athlete, you need to have an agent if you're in the top 30, ranked top 30 in the world. That's the world athletics rule. How many people follow that? I don't know. Um, but uh, you like that, that's the requirement for the world athletics uh, online. Uh, that's the first step. The second step is that I think, and, and Maddie, you can speak to this, like getting into events in Canada or the some events you need to in the US where you have good relationships with the meet directors are no problem right like i think that if you want to go run at um harry jerome which is canada one of canada's premier running track events anyway it's not a problem if you want to run in the ottawa marathon you fill out the online application form on the website and dylan will accept you but if you want to run in the new balance indoor grand prix one of my favorite races of all time then you need to have an agent constantly hounding the meet director because typically those top two percent of the of the agents because there's a hierarchy within the agents as well own those meets and operate those meets and what happens is they only want to work with people a who have passed the agent's exam and b who they like to work with and so typically they accept mostly their athletes into these events so it's a big it's even i would say and i'm getting a bit off topic it's a constant struggle for someone like myself as well to get people on the line in these races because it's already so heavily, it's an industry that's already so heavily controlled and dominated by the, by the people who have been there for 30 or 40 years. So without an agent and without somebody who has this tag on their business card, it's even more difficult to, to, to break into those events. Um, so if you're an athlete out there who, who's confused by this whole thing, you can have, you can represent yourself. That's no problem. But according to the world athletics rules, Typically, you need and to get into the big events like the Diamond Leagues. It's going to be really, really difficult to do that if you're a top 30 athlete, uh, especially without an agent. And it's already it's already going to be difficult with an agent. Um, like we look at somebody like John Gay or Julianne Staley. Both of them are 
premier caliber or even yourself, Matty, you're like premier caliber athletes, right? And getting into diamond leagues has proven to be difficult thus far. Doesn't mean it's not hopefully we'll get into a bunch this year, but I think that's that's where you really it necessitates having an agent. Maddie, did you, uh, you and I had talked quite a bit about to further what Stephen just said, you know, the lack of transparency, or I think what you called the like closed loop system of like track agents also being meet directors. Did you want to say a little bit more about that? And we can put that to our, to our guests. Stephen pointed that out, that there are agents and then there are meet directors, but sometimes the agent wears both hats. And so then the agent hosts a meet. It gets certified by World Athletics, so it's a desirable opportunity, but then they just put their own athletes in it who get points, who move themselves up in the world rankings, so then it becomes easier to continue that pattern. But I think we don't want we don't want to just complain, you know? So we have to talk some solutions, and you guys are part of the solution. And I think another solution is bringing more of these events to Canada, where Canadian athletes are the priority and Canadian athletes are treated really well. Um, you know, so if we if we can't beat them, we might as well join them. So do you guys have any plans to bring uh, events like that to Canada or to improve the infrastructure we already have? And and just just before you answer, I'll, I'll really quickly reference there that actually um, I saw Matt tweeted about this a couple days ago. Like, what would the cost be to build a field house like Boston University? Because like so many Canadians end up traveling to BU um, and like you said, other facilities across the U.S. to chase fast times, but we don't have enough in Canada. So, yeah, I would I would put that to you both as well because I think it's a huge part of the solution. Yeah, I'll I'll jump on this one and quickly to to kind of talk about what Madeline was just saying about you know agents being meet directors and the conflict of interest there. If if you're an athlete, listen to this and that is like an important and this is something that you want to tackle. It's you know I'm in a unique position because I sit on the athlete commission now for world athletics and they want to regulate the agents a lot more and they see that there is a conflict of interest there so if this is something that you feel is a problem in sport you need to contact your athlete commission through your member federation which ours is chuck and cristobal netley so i would reach out to them and say that this is an issue that you have and the more people that we have complaining about this at you know, the lower levels, the more pressure we can put on member federations to then push towards world athletics to say that this is an issue and agents shouldn't be also meet directors and vice versa. And it's something that we want to bring to council to vote on. Um, and to be to be completely transparent, I don't I don't think there it, it's not a conflict of interest unless it comes down to situations like this, where you look at the meet director for New Balance Games, he only lets in New Balance athletes. If you're going to give New Balance Games a silver or gold label, then you need to uh, abide by the rules and allow uh, athletes that have hit that standard have the points to get into that meet rather than letting in just New Balance athletes. And this goes out to uh, Milrose Games as well. Look at how many college kids end up going to Milrose Games and then sign with Ray three or four months later. Not saying that they're not good enough to get in, but if it's going to be a points labeled race through World Athletics, then you need to be letting in the athletes that have the points to get into those meets, not athletes that don't have the points and just your athletes. So, again, I think meet directors do a lot of good for this sport. But I think in some certain instances, I, I think they're, they're keeping the sport back a little bit. So to bring it back around to what I think we can do better in our country, like it blows my mind and 
Kate alluded to it that I tweeted out. I was just at BU and I've been going to BU for the last few years. And for people that don't know what that meet is, it's Boston University. They arguably have the fastest indoor track in the world. Um, so everyone goes down there two or three times a year to chase fast times and hit qualifying marks for the outdoor season. So it just blows my mind that in Canada that we don't have an indoor track that Canadians, elite Canadians, are having to go down and travel and spend money to go to the States and chase fast times when in Canada you think we'd have a half-decent indoor track here. And at one point we actually did. When we hosted the World Championships in 1993 and put it in the Dome, they bought a brand-new track, put it there, and then we sold it to Arkansas for a dollar because we didn't know what to do with it. So it, like... It just blows my mind that the COC and AC and whoever you want to lump in all the all the provincial branches that there's no long term vision to build a track in this country. Like our national championship is on a flat 200 meter track. Like what are we doing? It's like you build it, they will come. And I said in that tweet, Kate, like the BU people probably made a quarter of a million dollars this year just on the entries of the Valentine meet alone. So if you built a a great track, let's say north of the 401, somewhere in Vaughan, get a plot of land, build a bare bones facility, make a fast track, and you just pump out indoor meat after indoor meat all winter long. You would make your investment back in probably less than a decade, I'd have to imagine. And then within that time frame, World Athletics sees that, oh, this is a fast track. People are running fast here. Let's let's have a gold label race there. And then you give our elite athletes an opportunity to race against the best in the world, hit standards, hit time. So we don't have to travel all over the world to hit fast times. So BU, apparently they made 220,000 US dollars on day one. I mean, you look at, so the men's mile alone at BU had 500 entrants at $35 a pop. That's almost 18 grand just in men's mile entries. So would, would we get that in, a, in one meetup here? No, we wouldn't. But you would run fast times and then high school athletes and colleges would see that you run fast here. And over the years, you could, you could be pumping out meets like BU is doing. You could. You can't tell me that you couldn't. Yeah, such a good point. I, I want to, Stephen, I want to let you uh, address that as well. I just want to jump in quickly before I forget, because Matt alluded there to making sure that athletes can follow up with their reps. So having been on the um, Athletics Canada Board of Directors as an athlete rep recently, I agree with that, that that's a really good avenue. So we will make sure that we link the emails for Charles Philibert Tibido, Christabel Netti, and Greg Stewart in the show notes for this. Also, um, an episode that Maddie and I did uh, in the Olympic year with Evan Dunphy around his ideas about how to change some of this point system so that it's a little more equitable, just as a point of reference, we'll link that too. But Stephen, sorry, go ahead. I'm sure you've got lots of ideas about this too. Yeah, um, I, I would love to have Canada have some big gold label meets, Diamond League style meets. They're like beyond the fact that we don't have an adequate facility, there's a lot of hurdles to that sponsorship dollars is number one number two is the ability that's pride and this connects to sponsorship dollars is the prize money required to put on these meets to put on a, a gold level meet um like they had at milrose games for example you need to provide in an outdoor context about sixteen thousand dollars a race or an event um in order to in prize in just prize money alone and that's on top of like any appearance fees you're going to pay so just you know just for those who are listening Athletes get appearance fees to enter events, right? So if you're Elliot Kipchoge, you're 
making probably just as much as you are in winnings in appearance fees just to show up. Um, but I digress. Uh, like you need appearance fees, travel costs, paying officials, paying uh, marketing people. Anyway, you need all those things in addition to the prize money that you have to put up. So you're talking a couple million dollars for an event, which is just, which is our first hurdle, right? I know that there's some events in Canada that are kind of like in the second or tertiary tiers of the events at World Athletics. And the, the problem is, is those events are just struggling to keep their heads above water. So if you're in those towns, like if you're in Vancouver, if you're in Edmonton, where we have these events happen, or Montreal, where we have these events happening this summer, make sure you go and support it, buy a ticket. That's a way to encourage officials and uh, people at Athletics Canada or whoever to continue to invest in the sport and that we potentially need more of these events. I think the the point system is so important nowadays. And for those of you who don't know, the the point system works. Uh, you just don't qualify for the Olympics or the World Championships via, um, via times anymore. In fact, 50% of athletes will probably be qualifying via what's called a point system, which is overly complex um, and very arbitrary, uh, depending on who you are. But the, the, the way it works is you get a time, you get points for the time you run, and then you get points for where you finish. And then those points for where you finish are associated by what event you're running at. So if you go and run your local twilight meet in Hamilton, you're not going to get, well, any points. If you show up to the Milrose Games, which was on last weekend, and you win, you're going to get 120, 100 points just for the win. Those 100 points in, for let's take Maddie's event, which is the 800, 100 points is worth like five to eight seconds, depending on how fast you run. Uh, in fact, like Maddie, you can speak to this, but we, you ran at the Lilac Grand Prix and you ran two minutes and three seconds, which for you isn't amazing, but it was a rust buster, right? But it was equated, the number of points was equated to what you had run in, uh, in last year when you ran 159, right? Which is a, obviously a big difference in a 800, but in terms of points, they were the same. And you've been on the other side of that, Maddie, quite a bit too, where you can't get into the race and you run faster than almost everyone who's running, you know, in the the higher points meet. Yeah, I won. I won from heat two outright in the States, the Olympic year, uh, like a high level race. But I don't get any of the points of the prize money because I'm in heat two. And that's not how it works. And I didn't have, I mean, Matt and Steven represent me now. I didn't have any representation at the time, which is why I couldn't get into that first heat. So it doesn't matter that I won. Um, so now that I'm at the level where I can get into these, like really this year is the first time last year, a little bit that I can actually kind of get myself into these events. I'm already seeing the benefit because truthfully that 203 was the slowest I've run in four years and it was my third highest points ever. So I'm already seeing the rewards of just getting myself on the start line. Whereas before to get the points I needed to qualify, I was just getting raw scores. I wasn't, you know, maybe I'd get up like five or 10 points for placement, but I wasn't getting any, any bonus points because heat two, you don't really see bonus points. So I kind of want to bring this maybe back to what Maddie was saying a couple questions ago about being really solutions focused. I mean, both of you are clearly, Matt and Steven, you are incredibly knowledgeable about the sport. You both have, you know, the insider information of having been on, you know, wearing many different hats within the sport. And it sounds like you're really passionate about this, but you've also both outlined like 
a huge number of the hurdles. And I think there's there's obviously a reason that there's not many agents or agencies that exist successfully in Canada. It's 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 a really difficult landscape. You talked about the sponsorship dollars required. You talked about this really kind of like centralized power structure. So I guess I'm curious about what you're both seeing as the ways to disrupt that. Like, how do you feel that you're going to be successful? Is it mainly just kind of that like good old Canadian scrappiness of of kind of, you know, like willpower and, and making the connection slowly over time. I'm wondering how you're seeing your success kind of in the short and longer term, what that might look like. I think the number one thing is putting athletes first. And that may sound dumb because you're the athletes are your bosses in many ways. Well, in every way. But in many cases, and you could like ask a lot of athletes about this. If you were to send a text to your agent in the US, it would, in some cases, could take them days or weeks to reply. Uh, One athlete who we've started working with recently, and I won't mention their name, they said that they at some times were double entered in meets because they would message their agent to say, I would like to go and enter this meet. Their agent wouldn't reply to them for two or three months, and then they'd sign themselves up for the meet, and then they'd be entered in the meet (laughs) twice. So uh, there's just like the first thing is just like the athletes are your bosses and the athlete comes first. And so I try to be very, very good at replying. And Maddie may disagree with me, but I tend to be I try to be very, very good at like entering into any conversation that the athlete wants. Um, the second thing is putting the well, I guess it's the same thing is putting the athlete first in the sense that and this was told to me by Julianne, who who I work with, it, Julianne Staley is happy, healthy, running fast. And I think those are like in that order. And I think that's really important is like, yes, we look at this sport from a business perspective. Like if, if you're not happy and you're not healthy, you're not going to run fast. Well, at least you may for a couple months, but it's not a sustainable solution. So if we want, although you could go and make a hundred, let's say a hundred thousand dollars in the US, which would be rare to begin with, but if you're not going to go down there and be a happy person and be happy and enjoy your life because there is a life beyond running, that is important to me. And I think that's is where we're trying to be different is that not pushing athletes into positions just because we want to take the like a cut of what they're making, but instead putting the athlete in a position where they are a set up for now, but be set up for life moving forward. And that's 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 super important. Um, and I think that's just the way to dis- that's just the first way to disrupt is that a lot of agents like care about the top 5% of their athletes, which is fair. Like those are the ones making the money, but you got to remember that all of these athletes you're working with are human beings and all of them need to be in a good position to succeed. And all of them have their own complexities and it's important. Like we'll, we'll do the work to get every athlete as much money as we can get them, but it's also important to kind of foster a positive relationship and a consultative relationship and a relationship that's going to put the athlete in a position where they can succeed throughout their life. So I think that's the number one thing. I know that's not necessarily like disrupting the entire world athletic system, but it's just a way, it's a small change. It's a very practical small change that isn't incorporated and that like is at the forefront of what I'd like to do. Okay. So final question. You hear lots of, you know, like athletes in the in the youth sports system saying, like, I want to go pro after school. There's a pretty straightforward path for an American in the NCAA. But what would you suggest to like a 20, 21 year olds in Canada right now who's running well? 
run weller, run way better. And if, listen, it's a sad reality. If you want to run by yourself and you want to stay with your college coach or your club coach and say, hey, like, I want to make this work. I like my dreams to make an Olympic team, my dreams to make a world championship final. Like I will do anything. Th- that was, and, and not everyone's like that. And I, and I'm like, I realized that. But when I was an athlete, I was willing to do anything to, to make my dreams become a reality. I moved moved from home, moved across the country twice. And I joined, I joined groups and luckily I had those offers, but I was willing to pick up my entire life, have a long distance relationship just to make my dreams a reality. So not to completely like contradict what Steven was saying, because some athletes are just in good situations and they want to just keep chipping away at it. But if you want to, if you want to like really do your best and you're in a situation where you know you can be successful, but you want to be the best in the world. Then sometimes you have to take a risk. And if an op- and if we're able to provide that opportunity, or an agent, whoever it is, is able to provide that opportunity, like I think you need to to you know sit down and think about it hard. But you have to be willing to take a risk and move somewhere that ultimately might be a little uncomfortable at first, and it might scare you, but it might be for the best. Yeah, that's that's a really honest answer. I really appreciate that, Matt. Just kind of the uh, eyes wide open, right? Uh, Stephen, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I, I would just add to what Matt said. And I think it's our job to discover those opportunities for you. And each athlete, depending on their personality and their brand, will get different opportunities. But our job is to discover those opportunities. And your job is, well, like we can consult you on what we think you should do. But then your job is to 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 seize the opportunity that you that you deem is going to help your career the best. Um, I just to answer Maddie's question more directly, I think the number one thing that any youth sport athlete can do is work on their personal brand. And, and this is something that is lacking, especially amongst distance runners in particular, who we work with right now. Like, obviously you want, you need to show that you have a personality and it's not saying that people haven't on Instagram or TikTok or whatever people use nowadays, but it's, I think, everybody has their own can carve out their own niche right you don't need to to be posting on instagram 100 times a day but you need to show who you are on your social media platforms connect with people and that is one way to kind of carve out this way to go professional like obviously running matt said this run fast and everything else will take care of itself and that's like the number one that's the number one route right but if you're going to say run 405 for the if you're a woman and you're going to run 405 for the 1500 that's amazing right that's a great time but is it going to make you a ton of money or allow you to not have a part-time job or you know maybe but As maybe not as a 405 not. 1500 meter runner i can answer that question for you <laughs> and it is no <laughs> yeah there you go right but if you if you can be a social if you can work on your social media and work on your personal brand those are opportunities that companies are looking for. That's the reality that we live in in 2023, right? It's that we are in a digital age and that you need to connect with people, be yourself. But that's one thing that you can do to to put yourself out there and, and potentially earn that extra couple thousand dollars that um, allows you to go and train at altitude for, you know, for a few weeks and, and, and gain that competitive advantage. I know I asked the question, but also to just to add this, if it suits your personality, like if you're someone who thrives on having a few different things going on at once, get a job. There's there's no shame in getting a job. My my job with the magazine out of university opened so many doors for me in the running world. That is 
continuing to pay off today. So if you're a Canadian and staying in Canada, it is an uphill battle. And uh, I get a job would be, would be, I think, part of that answer too. Preferably a flexible one. Yeah. So finally, speaking about branding and connecting on social media, how can folks listening on this call get in touch with both of you? I mean, I know you don't have necessarily like a branded agency yet, but how can people connect with with the two of you? Uh, you can find me like shoes.run is my uh, is my Instagram or shoes.run at Gmail is my my email. Yeah, I'm Anderson runs on Twitter, Anderson underscore runs on Instagram. And you can send me an email at steven.athleterep at gmail.com. Eventually, we'll get branded and all this stuff. But um, again, we're only like, what, 12 months really into this thing. And so it's it's been an, a, an uphill battle. It's a networking battle at the moment. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, stay tuned, listeners, for whatever the upcoming branding and, and launch officially of this uh, collaborative agency will be. But look, Matt Hughes, Stephen Anderson, thank you so much for joining us on this call. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to continuing to follow this journey. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks again to Matt and Stephen for joining Maddie and I for this episode. We've included their contact info in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to them. If you want to connect with us, you can do so on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Shakeout Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our show wherever you're listening right now. And if you're enjoying these episodes, please consider leaving us a review or a rating. It really helps other people discover the Shakeout Pod. You can pick up the March-April issue of Canadian Running Magazine on newsstands and online starting this week. And as always, visit runningmagazine.ca for all the latest updates. Thanks as always for tuning in, run safe and happy, and we'll chat again soon.